You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Christ is risen. Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope I didn't catch you by surprise with that. Like when you get on an airplane to San Francisco and you hear the pilot say, this is flight 95 departing to Las Vegas. Uh, the, the, the fact that Easter is about a man who was dead, who came back to life three days later, is uh, what Easter is all about. It may seem like an obvious fact, but George Orwell said that the restatement of the obvious is the first duty of intelligent people. Uh, before I congra- congratulate myself too much on that, I have to admit that uh, I oftentimes, while the resurrection is about the, Jesus alive from the dead is an obvious fact, uh, it, the relevance of that fact in my life is not always uh, quite so obvious. And, and that's the question we're raising today is, what difference does the resurrection of Jesus Christ make in our lives today? I mean, Easter is such a great celebration. It's so wonderful to be together. It's great to see everybody here. You got here early in the morning to get a seat. Uh, you've gathered with family and friends. We have wonderful music, flowers, and all of that in and of itself is meaningful. And yet, of course, Easter is more than that. There's a deeper meaning. The ancient Israelites knew how to celebrate They were great with festivals, great with feasts. And the first of the great annual festivals that was celebrated in Israel was the Passover. If you've been worshiping with us over the past six weeks, you know, we've been talking about the Passover. Not just the celebration of Passover, but the history behind the celebration. Not just the history behind the celebration, but the meaning of that history to regular people like you and me today. And celebrations are meant to do that, whether it's Passover or Easter. They draw us into a festivity that invites us into a deeper meaning, something that we can experience today. So it's not just about, wow, I'm so glad what happened back then. Great for them. But there's something in it that makes us glad for what is happening today. Great for us. There's a song in the Bible. It's actually the first full song that the scriptures give to us, that is an invitation to move beyond a celebration into its deeper meaning. And that psalm is the book of Exodus. I would invite you to pull out that Bible in front of you, or if you brought one, pull out your own Bible and open up to Exodus chapter 15. In our pew Bible, you'll find that on page 54. And if you're able, would you stand with me and let's read this text together. We like to do this as a way of honoring Jesus Christ and the God who inspired the scripture as a witness to him. Our text is Exodus 15, just three verses, verses 19 there at the bottom of the page down to verse 21. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. When the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots... And his chariot drivers went into the sea. The Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam sang to them, 
Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. This is the... This is the beginning of the song that Miriam sings, and in it we find our affirmation for this morning. He has triumphed gloriously, has he not? But by the time we get this song, which in full recapitulates the history behind the Passover celebration, the reader will have already been told the history, and and we've been looking at it, and you you know the story behind Passover How it is that the Egyptians were killing the Israelites uh, through slavery. How it is that God heard the cries of his people and he sent forth plagues to make them free. How it is that God in the 10th plague protected every family who ate a special meal, a lamb that they had slain and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. How it is that God uh, sent the Israelites running before the Pharaoh's army. And parted the Red Sea with a dry wind and rescued them. How it is that God then destroyed the Egyptian cavalry as the waters of the Red Sea collapsed back upon them. This is the history behind the Passover. But now the song turns the history into meaning for the rest of us. Because if you read the whole of chapter 15, you realize that the first 18 verses are the song that Moses sings oftentimes referred to as the Song of the Sea. And it takes all of that history and it draws a lesson for our own lives in which we ourselves might say, He has triumphed gloriously. And then no sooner has uh, Moses finished the song that Miriam grabs a tambourine. She reaches out to what we read, all the women of Israel, gathers them together and sings this same song. So she's covering Moses' song. She's, Miriam's a cover artist, right? She just repeats it, and she, she takes the first line of it, and she gives it word for word, which is the way you'd refer to a song in ancient times. Just the title of the song would be the first line of the song. She gives the first line of the song, but she, she does change one word. Where Moses had said, I will sing praise to the Lord, she says, sing to the Lord. See the difference? Moses has a testimony. Miriam has an invitation. Miriam has an invitation to take that testimony and make it our testimony, not just the testimony of Moses. So that if we continue in the song, we would sing the very next song in which we are asked to appropriate the profession of Moses. We would confess that the Lord who has triumphed gloriously is my strength. Not just his, but my might. Not just his, but my salvation and my God. This would be the song that the Israelites would need to keep singing again and again as they wandered through 40 years in the wilderness. As they lived through their their entire history and even today, this song invites us into the deeper meaning of the Passover. He has triumphed gloriously we affirm this morning. But if that is the affirmation of the Passover celebration, which celebrates the freedom 
God gave his people from slavery in Egypt. Imagine how much more gloriously the Lord has triumphed when he releases all of creation from the tyranny of death. Indeed, he has triumphed gloriously. And that's what we affirm this Easter celebration. But what is the meaning to us beyond the celebration of the resurrection? To answer this question, I suggest to us that we need to wrestle with a question that Jesus himself asked in his own day. Jesus was with some religious leaders, some teachers of his day, and he turned the conversation around uh, on them with a question, simple question. He said to them, what do you think of the Messiah? What do you think about the Messiah? Now, it's a simple question. It's an interesting question insofar as Jesus doesn't ask, what are your religious beliefs? Jesus doesn't ask, how devout are you? Jesus doesn't ask, how good a person have you been? The question for Jesus is, what do you think of the Messiah? In a hundred years, the names in the newspaper today will have very little meaning. I, I suppose if we were to ask one another as we fellowship in Geneva or Calvin today, what do you think about Barack Obama? What do you think about Harry Reid? What do you think about J.K. Rowling? What do you think about Justin Bieber? We, you know, we would all have something to say, right? Or most of us. And yet, a hundred years from now, do you think that what you and I think about those people, as important as they are now, would have much meaning? And yet, think. Think of Jesus Christ. If what he says about himself is the least bit true, if what two billion people on the planet today confess about Jesus is the least bit true. And what we think about the Messiah is the most important question of our lives. I like the way uh, Terry Fulham, a 20th century professor and, and pastor, frames this. He says, you know, the best way to know somebody is uh, to get to know them through their friends, the people that knew them best. But if you really wanted to be unbiased, you would speak to their critics you would also want to speak to their opponents. And Jesus had some opponents. He had some enemies. So let me just give you a quick montage to refresh your memory. What did the religious leaders who stood against Jesus say about him? Well, they said this, grumbling, this fellow welcomes sinners. Isn't that interesting? That one of the most damning things his opponents could say about Jesus is that he welcomes sinners. Already the gospel is being preached. These same religious leaders, when they see Jesus hanging on the cross, dying, they ridicule him. And they say, well, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. And indeed, there's some truth to that as well. He cannot save himself because his love compels him to save others. And so he hangs on the cross for us. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, interviews Jesus. He gives him a trial at the behest of the people. And yet his judgment is this, I find no case against him. Even Judas, his betrayer, says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. A thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus as he's crucified looks at Jesus and says, This man has done nothing wrong. 
There was a Roman soldier, you know, one of the, 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 the men who there as they nailed the nails through his wrists and lifted him up to die. This Roman soldier heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And when Jesus breathed his last, the soldier said, this man truly was God's son. There are even a group of conspirators, religious leaders who are threatened by the resurrection. And they gather some Roman soldiers and say, friends, we will pay you well if you will spread this rumor that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. These are the opponents of Jesus. Isn't their testimony interesting? That while they do not stand for what Jesus stands for, they will not embrace his message and his life for themselves, yet they testify to the matchless grace of God in Jesus Christ who has come to give his life for sinners and who has left behind an empty tomb. So what about his friends? What do the friends of Jesus say about him? Well, John the Baptist, the forerunner, the guy, you know, he wears the camel hair and eats the locusts. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Remember the Passover feast. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then Peter, open mouth to change feet, says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Mary Magdalene, one of the first witnesses of the resurrection, the first evangelist says, I have seen the Lord risen from the dead. And then there's this rabbi, this opponent, this feisty and fierce persecutor, the early followers of Jesus Christ named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. On the road to Damascus, he's confronted by the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, Saul, why do, you, why do you persecute me? And he falls down on his face. And he becomes the Apostle Paul, a great apostle of the early church. And he would say he has abolished death. And brought life and immortality to light. What if we asked John? John knew Jesus well. What would John say if we asked him, what do you think of the Messiah? John, I think, would ask us to close our eyes and take our imaginations into the very courts of heaven. And there we would see a throne and around that throne, a great company of angels singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, it's Jesus, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise. He has triumphed gloriously. This is what people say who knew Jesus best. He has risen. But we can't leave it there. You see, Miriam asks us, remember, to sing the song for ourselves. It's not enough just to believe the history. It's not enough just to believe the truth of the history. Miriam wants us to sing. Miriam wants us to sing our song. A song about our history. Our history with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And so to do that, we, we need not only to hear what his opponents say, what his friends say, but we need to hear Jesus speaking his words to us directly. What does Jesus say about himself? If you can, just uh, kind of block out the people around you for a moment. Just um, 
set aside any distraction and listen as I read to you the words of Jesus. I believe he speaks them to us this morning afresh. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and might have it abundantly. Jesus says, I have come so that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Life, joy, and peace. This is the meaning of Easter. This is what Jesus wants to speak into our lives. I can't think of anything that I need more in all the world than those three things. I can't think of anything that the world needs more than life, joy, and peace. And these are the very things that Jesus has risen to offer us this morning. Let me close with an encouragement that you and I learn from Miriam. As uh, one politician said, and I adapt his words slightly, never waste a celebration. Miriam knew that the God who triumphed gloriously in the Passover will keep on triumphing. He'll keep on triumphing gloriously. And indeed, through the ages he's ha- he has, until he came to the first century in the fullness of time when God stooped from heaven to take on our humanity. He set the curse of sin and death deep within his heart. He broke the power of the grave, rose from heaven, and he has sent his spirit to be with us even this morning so that we can know Jesus through his spirit is in this room right now. He's as near to you as the person on your right or on your left. And he's not asking what you've done. He's not asking who you are. He's not inviting you to become a Presbyterian. I might, but he's not. (laughs) He wants to give you his life. He wants to give you his joy. He wants to give you his peace and to triumph in your life and in mine today. Would you pray with me? O risen Savior Jesus Christ, thank you that you have called us Not simply to know triumph, but to experience triumph because we know you. We are people who live in the wilderness and will continue to walk in the wilderness, but now to know that you are our companion, walking by our side until one day we walk with you into the bliss of all eternity. We thank you for breaking the power of sin and death. We we give praise and thanksgiving to you. That is our purpose this morning. Thank you, Jesus. May you be crowned with glory for all your great love. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.